Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. All right, so let's start over. So we finally moved into the building. And Dana's leaving, and thank you to everybody who helped. And we've started this series about the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago, and we've been kind of unpacking the Spirit and, and what our relationship is with the Holy Spirit. And we're also doing that on Wednesday evenings. And uh, it's, it's very confirming. It's very exciting and illuminating to see um, people, people that... that um, are a little nervous when you talk about the Holy Spirit because, you know, you can, it, the Spirit has gotten a bad rap in church world because, you know, you can get, things can get a little crazy when the Holy Spirit shows up. And, you know, you can be swimming like a fish and barking like a dog and all those kinds of things. Um, and, and so there, there is some, even in our Wednesday night study, there's some like, well, you know, I, I want to dip my feet in and test the water. And then you watch the Spirit move in people's lives and, um, it's exciting to see this, this birth of revelation as, as we give the Spirit his due. Um, and so we started this series, we started this journey together with John chapter 14. In verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands. I'll ask the Father, he'll send you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. He's speaking about the Spirit. But a little bit before that, a little bit before verse 13, around verse 12 in chapter 14 of John's Gospel, Jesus, he, he, he gives this, he, he, he tells the disciples Everything that I'm doing, you are going to be able to do, and even greater things than that. Now, now just let your imagination run with that for just, for just a moment. Think about all of the things that Jesus did that are recorded in the Word of God, all of the miracles, all of the things that he taught, and he said that you are going to be able to do the same things and even greater things. Than he. God sized stuff. Jesus says, You got this. And it is because we have been empowered by the Spirit of God. Now, you might be asking, Well, this empowering, what do you speak of, old balding pastor? Well, Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples, Hang out for a while. I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. You're going to get this gift. And you know how you're going to know? Because this power is going to come upon you. So the power of the ever-living God, creator of everything, universe, sun, moon, stars, us, everything, this God who created, his power is going to come upon us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then it's then we will become his witness throughout the entire world. That we will show the world Jesus, that we will point the world to Jesus and that we will be given this power. And, and we see it through the book of Acts. There's, there's this significant experience 
of inviting the Spirit of God to, to come upon you in a way that goes beyond just the, the, uh, the, the experience of salvation. Jesus called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be immersed in the Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul begins to kind of unpack for that church these things he calls the gifts of the Spirit. And they are the manifestations of what a life looks like when the Holy Spirit has filled that individual with power. And so there's things like healings and the gift of miracles there's the gift of prophecy. There's the gift of praying or uh, speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. There's the gift of, of knowledge, wisdom, and faith. All of these supernatural giftings become evident, become manifest in the individual's life and so in the church's life because the power of the Spirit is at work. You might have heard it said, but the Holy Spirit is a, is a gentleman. And it's our way of, of trying to describe, um, I guess, the characteristics, the human description of something sacred and holy that's beyond our comprehension and understanding. But the, the, the characteristics of the Spirit. See, see, the Spirit will never force himself upon a person. He will never force his way into a community, but he eagerly, joyfully comes when invited. He eagerly and joyfully comes when he is welcomed and when he is honored. The spirit will never just kind of wrestle control out of your hands, but will gladly receive control of your life when you give it over to him. And so before that we can really get into the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I do want to talk about those things and, and, and bring some clarity to you know, prophecy, healings, um, miracles, the gift of miracles. Before we can, before we can get there, I want, to, I want to touch and talk about what a community looks like when the Holy Spirit has been given control. Now, in order for a community to be controlled by the Spirit, individuals within that community have to have given their lives over to the Spirit. And so when a gathered group of people who have submitted their life to the Holy Spirit gather together, then that community is now in, under the control of God's Spirit. There are basic uh, characteristics, should I say? There are basic rhythms of what a community looks like that has submitted themselves to God's spirit and how that spirit, how the spirit will manifest in, in our midst. So Acts chapter 2 is where I want to launch this morning. Verse 38 says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, Gentile, for all whom call on, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this is the beginning of the, ch of the church as we know it. 
The Holy Spirit has come this, this day of Pentecost. Those that were in the upper room, they, they heard something like a, like a violent rushing wind and, and um, flaming tongues seemed to, to illuminate above the heads. They were given power by the Spirit. This is the promise that Jesus talked about. This is now they have been charged with, empowered with going out into the world and being a witness. And Peter stands up in chapter 2 and he gives this amazing sermon. And 3,000 people, 3,000 people say, yes, and they're baptized. 3,000 people from one sermon Become followers of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the scene in Jerusalem? Every, every well, every pool, every puddle has got people being baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. They start, the church starts with 120 and grows almost instantaneous to 3,000 people. Three thousand Jews have been baptized. Now, this is a big deal for Jewish people, because baptism wasn't a thing that a Jew did. Baptism was for Gentiles who wanted to convert to Judaism, and it was the the symbol. It was the the spiritual the, the spiritual significance of that baptism was they were separating themselves from their past, separating themselves from a life that was lived away from the things of God, and they were now cleaning off all of the the, the schmutz that they were covered with spiritually speaking because they were not following God, and now they've entered into this relationship. They became Jews, and now Peter has has put this new. Uh, he's established this new meaning for baptism and is now to be baptized in the name of the Messiah, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of their sins. And through that, after that, because we know it's a deliberate experience, they receive the gift of the Spirit. The stage has been set for this new community. We call church. And the stage has been set for the Holy Spirit to be in control. Now we have to understand that between verse 41 and verse 42. So the 41 says those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. By the time we get to verse 42, there, there is a, a period of time that has transpired. There, there, it's, not, um, it's not Luke describing what's just happening on that day, but it's describing the, the life that the church was living during that time. And we know that, and we'll see in verse 47, that, that God was adding to their numbers daily, those who are being saved. And so the church is growing. The church is growing. They're doing life. They're submitting themselves to the Spirit because the Spirit has come upon them, just like the first 120. Now we have thousands of people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, have been given the power of God through the Spirit, and they are living their lives within a certain set of principles that have been ordained by God. And so, verse 42 describes what this community looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
The Spirit has come to reign in the church. The apostles are looking to the Spirit for guidance. The church is looking for the Spirit for guidance. And now that we see these thousands of people, the first thing that a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led community lives is there is a devotion to apostolic teaching. The, the word in the original language for devotion is um, doing something with intense effort. Doing something with intense effort. And the way it's written is they were continually doing something with intense effort. They were devoting themselves to the word of God as the word of God was being spoken through the apostles. There is this single-mindedness, myopic vision that the church has. And they are engaging life as the Spirit would lead them. They are gauging life because they have submitted themselves to the power of God through his Spirit. Three Over 3,000 people continually devoting themselves to the Word of God. The apostles were living and teaching exactly the way Jesus had promised they would. Because in John chapter 14, Jesus said that the Spirit is going to teach you all things. And the Spirit is going to remind you of everything I've said. And so now these apostles, they're, they're teaching what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. They're, they're, they're teaching how all of the prophets, all of their ancestors, everything that they prophesied about is all pointing to Jesus. That he's fulfilling everything that the Old Testament spoke about. They're, they're teaching about the vine and the branches. They're teaching about how we are to love each other. As Jesus taught them on that night of Passover, their last night together, the last meal that they had. They're teaching them all of these things because the Spirit of God is upon them and is enabling them to remember everything that Jesus told them. And these apostles are learning new things as the Spirit would give evidence to them. See, where the Holy Spirit is honored, the Word of God is honored. Being filled with the Spirit and being filled with the Word of God, they, they go together. They, they mingle with each other. Colossians chapter 3. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the way that this early church is living. There's teaching of the word of God. There's admonishing in the word, uh, through the word of God. Now, admonishing, admonishing is, is cor- uh, corrective in nature. And so people are being corrected. People are being taught. The way they think is being corrected. The way they're living is being corrected through the word of God. There is a gratitude in their hearts about the life that they're living. They're speaking to each other with psalms and hymns from the spirit. Not just kind of making them up. But the spirit is in them and it's, and it's causing them to, to speak and to sing in, in a new way, in a very different way. It's a devotion to the word of God that the early church had. 
See, where the Spirit reigns, the Word of God reigns. Where the Spirit is honored, so is the Word of God honored. In Peter's first letter, he writes that the church needs to long for pure spiritual milk so that by it we may grow up into our salvation. And he's talking about the, the, the word, of God, word of God, that we, that we need this word of God to nourish our souls, to nourish our spirit, that we would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's our sustenance. It's our sustenance as individuals, and it's our sustenance as a community gathered. There was this unquenchable hunger for God's word in the early church. And, it was, and it's his grace to us. It's only through the spirit of God that we, are, that we are able to hunger after the word of God. I, I belong to a small group. Um, I, we meet on Wednesday mornings, 10 o'clock, and it's all pastors. And you know, we have about 10 churches represented. And you know, we, we, we talk about stuff and we pray together. But there's this common thread, there's this common theme that, that we all have experienced. And there is a, there is a, a large uh, portion of today's church that do not know the word of God. There is almost a, among a portion of the church today, obviously it's the other churches, not this one. But anyway, um, there is almost a biblical illiteracy that's plaguing Christianity. And there seems to be no longer a hunger for God's word. And if there is not a hunger for the word of God in an individual's life, then the spirit is not given free reign in that individual's life. Because if the spirit, if you're filled with the spirit and you're living according to the spirit and not just to your flesh, if you're submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit, then he produces within us this, this hunger for God's word because God's, God's word points us to Jesus and that's what the Holy Spirit's job is, to point us to Jesus. It's no longer enough to say that we're a Bible-believing church. It's, it's, it's no longer enough to say I'm a, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. See, we have to get to the place within our own lives that we are a Bible-living Christian. And in order to live what the Scripture tell us, tells us, then we have to be in the Word and if the desire isn't there for the word of God, then I'm going, to, I'm going to say that you have not or you're no longer submitting yourself to the work of the spirit in your life. And, and if the, and the spirit is not at work and, and, and you're not submitting, and sometimes that submission, I would say more times than not, that submission is an everyday thing. Holy Spirit, have your way. I want to recognize you in my life. I, I praise you. I honor you. And, and, and so if it's not there, then I would probably venture to say that you have replaced it with something else. And, and usually that something else in our culture is busyness. We're just too busy to hear from the Spirit. We're just too busy to press into the Spirit. We're just too busy to read the Word of God 
I got a lot of things to do. It's no longer enough to say I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Where the Spirit is alive and well, where the Spirit is submitted to, where the Spirit is given control, we are Bible-living Christians. And he goes on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God, and to fellowship. Koinonia, if you've been around church any amount of time. But understand that this kind of community, this kind of community hasn't, uh, it, it hasn't existed until the Holy Spirit came upon that group of believers in the upper room. This is something new. This is something sacred. This is something holy. This word is not found in any of the Gospels. It's only found in Acts and moving forward, and it's describing the relationship that we have with each other. The root word that it comes from is is this idea of commonness, that we have all things in common. And every time it's used in the New New Testament context, it it talks about the the act of sharing, whether it's sharing in in physical needs, you're giving something to someone, or you're contributing to them, or you're, you're giving them an offering, or it's about sharing in someone's experience, that you're walking alongside them within whatever they may be going through, whatever, whatever situation in life they are. This idea of fellowship is about sharing and about giving. It's the foundation of the church. It's a foundation of a church where the Holy Spirit is in control. In, in verse 44 and 45 of Acts, All believers were together and had everything in common. Does anybody have a Harley Davidson? No? Okay. I digress. All believers were together and had everything in common. iPhone 10? I know you got one. We'll talk later. Everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and and, and they gave to anyone who had a need. No, we all need a proper communication solution, and the iPhone 10 is that. But please, you're, you're pulling me off course here. We'll talk about our commonness later. It's important to understand this, that, that these Christians weren't selling everything and, and living as, as paupers and, and homeless. We know that later on. It talks about that they, they had dinner together. They ate meals together in each other's homes. And, and so it wasn't they just, they just sold everything and, and had nothing but what's being said is where the Holy Spirit is given reign, there is this, this mutual generosity. There's, there's this sharing of life and the things that we have in life together with each other. And it didn't exist. This type of sharing, this type of community didn't exist until the power of God came through the power or through the Holy Spirit and began to radically change the way people live, began to radically change uh, priorities and realign priorities in people's lives. See, fellowship, biblical fellowship costs us something. It, it's, it's costly to the individual, which I think pushes and stretches it a little bit further than what is kind of celebrated in the church today. 
It's more than just going into that room over there and eating the pulled pork with cheese. It's really good, by the way. I had a few this morning. But anyway, it's, it's much more than that. It's more than coffee and. It's more than some sentimental feeling that we have for each other. Fellowship manifests itself through giving. Giving to each other. You know, many times I've heard people leaving churches and they leave because they're, they're not, they don't feel connected to any people. And not in all cases, but, but I, wonder, I, wonder if, I wonder if it's because they're looking to only get instead of focusing on giving. Like what if, what if an entire church of people, their sole focus was to serve, to love, and to give to one another? That was the sole reason why they gathered together in community. Because they've submitted themselves under the Holy Spirit's authority. And he has changed them in a way. And now their focus is solely on just making sure the needs of everyone else is met. That people are being cared for. It would be a community where everyone is just giving. But now wait for it. Because of that posture in the church, it would also be a community where everyone is receiving. And needs would no longer be going unmet. That's a spirit-led community. A community where the Holy Spirit is welcome. Where he's allowed to change people's hearts. How do you know if you're in fellowship? I mean, you attend, okay. But how do you know you're in biblical fellowship? What the Bible describes is that. Because you're a giver. You focus on what you can give and not focus on what you can get and what you can take. You give yourself away to others. You see, when you give yourself fully to the Lord then the natural, next natural response in our heart is to then give ourselves away to each other. If you're in this place of, it's all about me, it's all about what I can get, it's all about my needs being met, then I'm going to challenge you with the Spirit of God is not reigning in your life. Now, believe me, we all come through a season where we need and we're tired and we can't give. But if the spirit is in control and if you've submitted yourself, then you're still always feeling as you want to give. There's always that sense of, I wish, but I just can't. And that's the spirit telling you, take a break. It's time for you to rest. It's time for you to be ministered to. Where the spirit is in control, there's a hunger for the word of God. Where the spirit is in control, there's this sacrificial giving to one another. And where the spirit is in control, there's a devotion to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Where the spirit is in control, there is a devotion to worshiping God. Now there's some... There's some uh, 
discussion or wiggle room on what the idea of breaking bread is, and, and I've landed. Um, this is about the celebration of communion. This is about taking the bread and the wine and remembering what Jesus has done for us, remembering that he went to the cross, remembering that through that cross and through our faith in him, we have been forgiven of our sins. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And the reason why I believe that is because in verse 46, it does talk about the breaking of bread as they're, as they're eating, as they're having dinner together. And so there's a separation between the two. And so they've devoted themselves to remembering what Christ has done. And it's only through the power of the Spirit that we can even remember that because he's going to remind us of what he spoke of and he's going to teach us all things. And so we have this, this gift of joyful contemplation of remembering Jesus. Like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure there's any better news in the world than the news that by faith you have been reconciled back to the creator of everything. I don't think anything comes close to that. And where the spirit reigns, there is prayer. There is individual prayer. There is community prayer. There is a devotion to it. There is an intense effort to pray, making sure that our lives don't get in the way of robbing us of this intimacy that we can have with God. Where the spirit reigns, your heart isn't satisfied until you have pressed into prayer. And once you've pressed into praying, it's like you hunger for more because the spirit is at work in you. It's not, about, um, it's not about trying to score brownie points with God and get on his good side. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with deepening our relationship with him, deepening our intimacy with him. Where the spirit is given full reign, there's this hunger and an acknowledgement that we can't live without God. And the way that we can move toward him is by this gift that he's given us that we call prayer. Amen. And where the Holy Spirit reigns, there's that longing for it. A hunger for God's word. A hunger to give of ourselves to our brothers and sisters. A hunger for remembering Jesus. And a hunger to pray. These are the evidences of a community that has submitted itself under the control of God's spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. You know what the best church growth program is? It's right there. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They went to church. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They had dinner, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, I believe that church growth is important to God. And there are things that a church can do to better facilitate community. 
policies and procedures and changing those things. I know you're going, oh, that doesn't seem very spiritual, but it, it is. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being deliberate in the ways that we do things as a church. There's nothing wrong with establishing systems so that our community runs well, so that people aren't forgotten, so that people find uh, the things that God is calling them to, that they realize their gifts and are able to exercise those gifts in the context of community. there's, There's nothing wrong with those things. Paul even tells, he he talks about um, establishing what it looks like to establish elders and leadership in the church. But those things, as important as they are, can never be replaced with an individual's spiritual growth in the things of the Lord. And for you to grow spiritually, you, there needs to be an all-out submission to the Spirit of God. Giving yourself over to him and saying, I got nothing. What will you have me do? How do you know you've submitted? Well, you'll have a hunger for the word of God. You will be in it, reading it, studying it, meditating on it. You won't be able to get enough. How do you know you've submitted to the spirit? You'll have this desire to be together in community and to give of yourself to others. That's that the gathering of the community isn't, isn't something you do when you have the time. The gathering and community is something that you make time to do because it's important. How do you know? Well, you devoted yourself to worship and you've devoted yourself to prayer and you've realized that you can't make it on your own and that everything that you have, everything that's been given to you is God's grace and gift to you. And it doesn't matter what people believe. It's, it's God's grace to them. God is so loving and graceful that he blesses those who would reject him and deny him for time. And when the spirit is allowed to reign, all of these things, this fellowship and the word of God and praying and worshiping, they all kind of bring this, this beautiful balance to life. It's not always like a mountaintop experience with rainbows and glitter and unicorns flying by, but there is a, just this healthy balance of life together where the spirit is welcomed and submitted to. And so, Father, I pray that you would Help us recognize that you have gifted us with this advocate and this helper. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show each and every one of us where it is that we have to submit to you. Not in some militant expectation, but it's your desire to bless and to nurture and to care and to to build up and to raise up. Show us, show us, show us what it is, where it is. And may your name, may your name, Jesus, be glorified.
And it's in that name that we come before you. Emptied, broken, but give us the longing for more. More of you, more of your grace, more of your love, and more of your spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.